Today's episode is brought to you by Third Love. Third Love is an exciting lingerie brand that uses real women's measurements to create better-fitting bras. Try Third Love's best-selling 24-7 t-shirt bra for free for 30 days. Start the Try Before You Buy program now at thirdlove.com slash sexlives. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells and with me today as always is New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. Hey Maureen. Hey David. We've got a great show for you today. We're joined in studio by two returning guests. You guys may recall a previous episode with Mona Chalabi where she revealed to us the answers to questions like what's the average age when people lose their virginity? How many sex partners does the average person have? That kind of thing. This week um, we want to talk about how sex changes over the course of a long-term relationship and we thought to ourselves, I wonder if Mona has any data on this to which she responded, of course I do. Mona, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by the man who currently holds the record for most non-hosting appearances on Sex Life. Gawker's Is that true? Rich. Uh, Maureen, maybe, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Who else, I think? Well, I think maybe like you're number one and number two. All right. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has come back. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really true? Well, you haven't scared me away yet. <laughs> um, anyway, that's Gawker's Rich Joswiak. Rich, good to see you again. Thank you. Good um, to see you too. You may remember the last time Rich was here, we were talking about um, mostly about his cat and breaking up with his cat. <laughs> yeah. Or break, the, the cat's role in a breakup. Right. Anyway, Maureen, do you want to tell us a bit about what got you thinking about sex and how it evolves over the course of a long term relationship? Yeah. Um, per usual, a variety of sort of cocktail party gossipiness um, got me thinking about this in that I was asking a friend of mine who had just gotten married that I was like, did you think your sex life changed once you were married? Um, and she was like, absolutely, because I realized that if this is the only other body in my life forever, that's like, I have to just get over every hang up, like, just like, we're going to get so freaky and crazy. And instantly, of course, she says that. And I was like, that's amazing. And immediately somebody says, no, it's the exact opposite of that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like, once again, anecdote fails me. <laughs> who will know the actual answer? And the answer, of course, the, the person who knows the answer is always going to be Mona. Occasionally. If there is an answer to be known, you will know it. It's funny. It's sort of like we were talking a couple weeks ago about how some people – some friends of yours say that the best – the wildest sex they have is right at the start and other people say it like grows over time. It's sort of the same like – whatever it's called, inverse bell curve or something. Actually, you know what? I think it was an extension of that conversation was how I ended up in the what happens when you get married, like beginning or end – once you've been wedded. Because some people were like, my sex life just froze from the moment I like said I do to this person. And then this other girl was like, no way. It gets like crazy because there's nowhere to hide anymore. <laughs> so I, I can't really necessarily say anything about the freakishness of the, of the okay. sex act. But I guess sexual frequency might be some sure. kind of indicator of the quality of someone's sex life. Maybe just insofar as if the frequency is zero, it's probably not so good. Um, And so I found this really interesting paper that was written in 2015 by these two German researchers. And what they did was they looked at 2,855 heterosexual individuals. And unfortunately, like most research on all of this stuff, it mostly focuses on heterosexual people, which is a bit of a failing. But anyway, and it's people who self-identify as heterosexual as well. So it really doesn't cover all kinds of sexual activity. Um, But what's interesting is they actually take people and like follow their sex lives. Because often when you ask people to like report back on how their sex lives have changed, they don't remember it very necessarily very accurately. Anyway. So the average frequency Mm -hmm. 
for non-cohabiting couples, right, that's couples who live apart but are still together, is 7.9 times per month. And that's the highest of any different group. So for now, I'm just looking at relationship status. Mm-hmm. Since that's kind of what you mentioned to start Wait, with. Wait, so 7.9 times per month is how much per twice week is that? Twice, twice a week. Yeah. Okay. But for cohabitors, it's mm-hmm. 5.6 times per month. So like 1.5 times a week. Okay. Um, and 4.9 for married couples. So it's lowest for married couples out of anyone. Hmm. But the thing that you're really interested in is kind of how things change over the course of yeah. a relationship. And they found that... Without a doubt, the longevity of a relationship, like the length of just how long the relationship has been in place, affects sex lives. To what so degree? I'm going I'm to quote okay. uh, from the paper. They say, the drop over the first four years is remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> in the fourth year of a relationship, there are about seven intercourse occurrences less per month than in the first six months of the relationship. Seven per month? I mean, less. It's like- seven per month fewer Four years in. That's so significantly fewer. Yeah. The largest decline takes place during the second year of the relationship. um, And that's when the frequency drops by five times per month. The other thing they find that is massively, massively important is the way that sex frequency changes with children, which is one reason why they looked at heterosexual couples. So if the youngest child is six years or older, it doesn't really affect your sex life anymore. But if you've got young Mm -hmm. kids, you're kind of fucked. Like that you're that not getting Except fun. you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, and the other thing they found was they, it's really interesting, they included this this one strand of data which was about um, couples' communication styles and they found, it's not really actually surprising, it's just interesting to see it borne out kind of in the statistics. If your communication style is good, then you have sex more frequently. And it could be, it, like the cause and effect there isn't necessarily clear. It could be right, that if totally. you have sex, then that improves your communication with one another. Mm. Or if you have good communication, that improves your sex. I don't know. But the two are clearly tied together. Did they look at what, how, how marriage affects it in the same way they looked at how having kids affects it? Or is it just the length of the relationship? No, it's just like they can't, they can't test everything kind of at the same time. Yeah. So it's just that they know married couples have less sex than cohabiting couples. And they know that over the course of a relationship, you have less sex. But it's very difficult to know whether or not marriage actually affects that. I remember I looked at before whether living together before you get married increases the risk of divorce in a separate article. And it doesn't actually have a big effect at all. Because, again, they don't control for other variables, right? If you live together before you got married, it's highly likely that you're not religious, right? Because mm-hmm. religious, cu- religious couples, like, you just go all in, right? And religious couples don't really get divorced. So it's not necessarily the cohabiting itself that's increasing a risk of divorce. It's all of these other factors. And if you don't control for them, you're not really finding out anything. So, yeah, the statistics show that cohabiting couples are more likely to divorce. But that's just because of all of this other stuff, including, like, income and religion and anyway. Well, it seems like common wisdom, really. It seems yeah. like this, this, this study is just proving what we already know, which is that you are more likely to have less sex over time if you stay with the same person in this monogamous setting. But what, it's interesting what? to me that it that it plateaus, though, after what year, about year four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems sort of intuitive to me, but I don't know. Why does it seem intuitive? I mean, I guess I, like just sort of my own experience is basically that, that it's <laughs> yeah. like I've been together with my wife for a long time, but basically our sex life has been the same for like 10 years. But How, how like, the same? Is it like the same like – like every time, you mean? No, I just mean like how like frequency. how how frequent frequency, and like this sort of right. like a monthly or like yearly rhythm of right. like when things are yeah. I feel like basically I'm still having the same sex life I had when I was 25. Now I definitely noticed with one of my exes that we would like do the same thing down to the position mm-hmm. every time. Oh wow! But our but our sex life started out infrequent, um, at uh-huh. least not enough frequent. 
for my taste, not frequent enough for my taste. Um, so you were the opposite of that, the the married friend of mine that was like, you start getting crazy when you're with one person forever. Yours was like, it actually was extremely stable. Yeah, but I don't think that that relationship was necessarily reflective of my tastes. And I yeah. think I was sort of at the mercy of him. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I I think that there's like a lot of things that would keep me from falling into, I guess, if we could call this a trap or a pattern or (laughs) whatever. The first being that the concept of the only other body in my life ever, as Maureen quoted, is just not, I refuse to ever believe that as, Mm -hmm. as, as committed as I am to somebody. And even if that were to be the case, I still could never believe that this is the last person that I will ever be having sex with on top of the fact that I don't feel particularly monogamous as a human being. I was actually almost equally surprised when my friend said that, that she had that much confidence that her marriage was going to last a lifetime. That I was like, now I'm impressed in like three different ways, right? Like I'm impressed, first of all, that I was like, man, you are really, really in this marriage. And then number two, now that I know that like everyone else's sex lives like hold still or get dull or whatever, slow down. I feel like so proud of her that like her sex life is (laughs) amazing. That that string of words just makes me feel claustrophobic, like (laughs) for her, you know, like (laughs) that's not my life, but I was uncomfortable just hearing you say that. she probably feels uncomfortable to hear you say that. Probably, Yeah, it's just, so much of it is like a character type thing. Like it feels like it's quite ingrained of whether or not relationships make people feel claustrophobic or not. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't really sound like it's environmental. And it also sounds like she probably wasn't all that comfortable having sex before she got yeah, married. Yeah, exactly. Like she, That's really true. Yeah, she yeah. needed that reassurance. Oh, no, yeah. she was. <laughs> <laughs> that was like part of what was so like But it's a whole, it's a whole like, new level. It's a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of discomfort too, I think that something that deviates, you know, being gay, de- that sort of makes me deviate entirely from this discussion is versatility and the fact that like uh, that you can ingrain that into a relationship that it will always be different and you know I think it's a different thing than kink or using sex toys or whatever which also can sort of enhance a relationship and keep it fresh just to have the equipment and the ability to be able to like flip fuck makes mm-hmm. it so that your sex life is constantly evolving and that like you you don't necessarily know what to expect or you don't have to you know and that's something that's like specifically written into gay relationships on a level that it's not like you sort of have to discover that being straight but also, I read a study about versatility and, and heterosexual attitudes toward it. And um, in terms of the sort of like acceptance or, or disgust provoking, versatile guys or the concept of versatility uh, was the most disgusting to heterosexual people that were surveyed over topping. Topping was the most sort of socially acceptable. Bottoming was then second and then versatility was the third interesting why do you think that is because i think it so deviates from any sort of binary uh understanding where at least like even even if like there's a tremendous stigma attached to being a bottom or bottoming it's still something that like straight people can wrap their heads around even if it seems abhorrent to them that's Uh, terrible it's like straight (laughs) people are just utterly like disgusted and fearful of what like true freedom and equality (laughs) in a relationship that's what this study but in like, in like, I feel like in the pegging era, that will all change, right? Perhaps. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Are we really in a pegging era? Well, no, we're probably, in an no. era we'll where we just like people, to say the word yeah. pegging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in an era where we sit here and say the word. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it sounds like in that relationship that you're talking about that um, – the versatility wasn't actually ingrained. No, it wasn't. To, to my chagrin, it was. Yeah. It was that was mm-hmm. sort of a disappointing thing, and and to me, like wh- one one thing that I've discovered over time 
in terms of versatility is that you know, when you're single, you think, or at least when I was single, I would think, well, I'm versatile. I can do anything. Like, yeah. I, I just don't have that 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 narrative that you sometimes hear, like, oh, these two bottoms are hooking up and what are they going to do? That, that's I, I reject that entirely, especially if it's two tops, too, because one of those tops, if not both of them, wants to get fucked, even though they're calling <laughs> themselves a top. Believe me, I know. But um, but then that my discovery was that it wasn't that I I I could do either. It's that I need to do both. You know what I mean? In order to be sexually satisfied, I find. And have you always, in relationships since then, have you always been able to, like, establish at the outset, like, this is going to be something that we're, like, we're changing things up all the time? I mean, no matter what I try, I've tried to establish at the outset in multiple relationships, it doesn't necessarily work that way, even though I've been very clear. I will say that lately I've had more luck uh, with that, and it's been going well. Well, there is something I think that at some point people just fall into patterns in general in a relationship, right? Like whether it, I mean, sex or outside being the, relationships, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like you know, you have your pattern of just the thing you talk about every day when you get home from work or whatever sort of thing, and it makes sense that like sex of all things, it requires like <laughs> a certain level of like I don't know imaginative energy to change things to a certain degree that people would end up just sort of plateauing. Well, also I think at a certain point, probably people start to feel like. This is who we are as yeah, a couple. And like to do something else is like mm. almost like you're. You I mean, know. I think, okay, so in theory at least, I like do not have that much long relationship experience. But in theory at least, what um, someone once pointed out to me is that they're like, there is actually some sort of freedom or some sort of special relationship to when you're able to have sex with somebody in just like a clinically efficient manner. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> That he's what like do you that mean is by clinically efficient. <laughs> that might have been a like... really gross. Um, that was the wrong adverb, I think, to use in this setting. But no, that he's like, like I know I can just like get it done. Like right. we both know what works. We both know the thing that works. We can both know that in this setting, like I'm gonna give you an orgasm this way. You're gonna do this. We can be done. We can, you know, like there is a certain, um, I think, a different type of. I imagine that, that that to be a different type of sex, almost yeah. like masturbatory sex or something. And you drop the performance too. Once yeah. You, once you have the person locked in, you don't have to. You know, you've already proven yourself by then, probably. So it's just like whatever. We know what we're doing. <laughs> and we but have it, sandwiches to eat after this. But it does you know? seem pretty dreary to think of like a lifetime of like the same. Ugh. Yeah, and especially if you think about like people who like have sex every night like if they have sex in the same position every night like that would get to feel like such <laughs> it, a chore and it comes down to communication again like if I, I'd imagine that in that scenario no one's saying to each other this is what I want this is what I want like it, saying the exact same thing every single time because it would sound so bizarre to say the same thing everyone's just going on to autopilot mode yeah. and to not be talking is like not good like just you have to be very vocal totally is, and yeah like, like with anything but especially with sex uh, what you get out is what you put in Right? <laughs> is that a statement about versatility, maybe? Uh, I think it's a statement about a lot of things. I think that's evocative <laughs> of many things involving sex. Um, true. But, but it's true. Like, you have to, you can't just expect things to be good without working on them. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like, we're, we're sort of assuming that, that um, most people are interested in having more sex, but it's interesting to think about people who are actually, like, interested in sort of getting past sex towards right. a relationship mm-hmm. that's like. Yeah. You know about other things, but maybe occasionally feature sex. But um, it's like the existential dilemma of talking about sex is that like we already have a vested interest in assuming everybody is really, really interested in yeah. sex. But in fact, many are. I'm sure. Get it out of the way. I mean, it's all interesting to think also about older people who get into relationships. Like um, maybe it's like you know maybe they haven't been in a long term relationship, or maybe they had like an earlier marriage or an earlier relationship. But like 
somebody who's like first dating somebody at like 65 probably isn't going to want to have like isn't that really ageist to just assume they have no libido well isn't it biological yeah, I think to a I think certain extent, a certain yeah, but they extent, still right. definitely are like sexual beings. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't want to have any sex. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, probably different than like a 19 year old, like, um, at college. Yeah. Right? Although when I was a 19 year old in college, honestly, that wasn't actually what I was after. Yeah. Well, where are you? I remember after? I was just a freak. I was after books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're looking forward to your hot sixties. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm really going to slut it up when yeah. I'm a sixty year old woman. <laughs> have you found your libido increasing over time? I just found my libido. Yeah, it, not necessarily increasing over time. I just found it. It wasn't there, and then it was there. Mm. You understand it now. You understand what you're looking for. I don't know. I just didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Or you're just merely acknowledging it. Maybe you were ignoring it before. Or you're very uncomfortable with this entire <laughs> Tell us. Tell the men. I don't think anyone, any of my family members would ever listen to this. That's all that I'm trying to figure out. You, right now. I, have to, when, I mean, I have to pretend my family members are dead whenever I talk about <laughs> sex. Otherwise, I just can't do it. So, yeah. I mean, they're alive. But in, to me, they're dead. Well, we're in the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, d- I don't know. I suppose I had a sex drive, but I also just had other priorities in life. Yeah. And, like, honestly, sex just wasn't – it's not like I, I was, like, this poor virgin who, like, was really, really repressed or anything. Like, that was my choice. I just wanted to focus on these other things. I think it's normal to go through phases in your life when totally. sex is or isn't a priority. Yeah. I mean, it makes it sense. It was a long-ass phase. <laughs> I'm less <laughs> amused by being a sex object than ever. That's yeah. actually a turnoff when mm-hmm. I see that happening. It's just like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck you if you're pretending to talk to me because if, if you're pretending to be interested in what I say and that's transparent only because you want to fuck me. Mm-hmm. That I don't like. Whereas for years, that was the most amusing thing to me in the world. That's fine. <laughs> Objectify me all you mm-hmm. want. Now I like to be objectified slightly less. David, where do you fall on the issue of does marriage make one's Sex life freeze or? Well, f- I would like, I mean, expand. you mean when, when you say where do I stand, you mean like, <laughs> you're asking about my particular experience? Yes. No, I think. Or like, your friends. You have so many juicy friend stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think mostly my experience has been like the one that Mona described. It was like, like pretty, like pretty serious, um, like intensity, like the for a few years and then like dropped off a bit and has been basically level ever since. But I also think. But that's also like you were also just saying that like when you're 19, you're like you see that as like peak horniness as much as that does not apply to Mona and everybody in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, like you're also 19, like your first four years were. Yeah. And that, that uh, age. Yeah, totally. I guess and, it's hard to separate out then. But, you know, like I think if I remember correctly, like m- the first year or so when Risa and I lived together was also like pretty. um sex filled and you know now it's weird it's like though i don't know there'll be times when we're fucking a lot and then there'll be times when yeah. we're not and it like i think the kind of cultural narrative is like if you go down a level then you're not going to get back up but our experience has been like within a relatively narrow range like there is a lot of variation like from month to month from season to season like you know There'll be weeks that are like crazy full of sex and then we'll go weeks without fucking at all. And when you see that variation and you know you're going to be fine at the other end, it changes your perspective on things, right? Totally. I've definitely been in like dry patch and you're just like, oh, we've lost the spark. It's all over. And if you know that, that's actually not the case. It yeah. means you can just sit in that moment a little bit more comfortably, right? And yeah. Know that 
I feel like that's a sign of like a healthy sex life mm. in some way of like that it can like go away and you don't freak out. Yeah. Maybe there's like just something to be said for recharging in general, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the cycle and, and you don't see each other for a while. And so your sort of hormones are recharging there. And then if you're together and you're seeing each other a lot, maybe you recharge by not having that much sex and then having a lot, you know, yeah. like I you, it probably is impossible to just have sex every single day for, with the same person for the rest of your life. I feel like there is, like, in a sort of idealized cultural expectation way, that is what you're supposed to do. And I've always found that really, really, like I was saying before, like, really dreary. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, how could it not become robotic and routine if you, you know? Yeah, it's like having the same meal every single day. Yeah. Right? I think it's, Yeah. But but I mean I can get but, behind eating the same meal every day actually. Really? <laughs> what meal? I mean I really really like raisin bran for breakfast in the All morning. Right. I'm going on like 3 years with that. All I right. feel like yeah. I, I can see that. You're so committed even at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> It's like like but, not th- not worrying about it, you know. But I mean, yeah. I think the cultural ideal of monogamy in general is dreary, and also it just sets people up to fail. People fail it all the time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that just seems kind of bullshit to me as well. Any gay relationship that I've ever heard about firsthand that's lasted more than 10 years has had some component of openness in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably a matter of like men doing men shit. Yeah. But uh, I do think that like there is something to be said for at the very least reducing your expectations and taking things as they come and not letting one event become a catastrophe or whatever when it's just humans doing what humans do. Do you think straight people can learn from that or is it just – Yeah, I think yeah. straight people should learn from that. I just think in general we just should turn it down a notch with mm-hmm. the monogamy thing. I think that it's it's a system that works for people and I understand why it's an ideal. But to have – like the, the, the narrative of like, oh, I was cheated on once. That's the end of my relationship just seems completely insane to me. It just seems really juvenile to me. Yeah, just, like, have, just understand, you know. I mean it's a shame that your relationship – it was conducted in such a way where somebody felt where one party felt like he or she couldn't be honest with the other one. Um, but it, that said, like, let that be a lesson yeah. to sort of reduce your expectations a little bit, you know? So fuck monogamy. <laughs> Before we move on, another word about our sponsor, Third Love. I'm in fact wearing a Third Love bra right now and I'm not really a person that wears bras usually, so I was like dimly nervous about how this would go. But in fact, the Third Love bras are really comfortable. And the great innovation is that they are made from memory foam, which I don't know why we weren't always using astronaut technology on our tits. But Third Love does that. Its 24-7 t-shirt bra is super comfortable, smoothing, invisible under your outfits. And the memory foam cup means that it's really going to fit your shape. Third Love is also great because their sizes go from A to F, and they have half cup sizes in between, which is also another miraculous innovation. Memory foam boobs, let's do it. Third Love stands behind the 24 t-shirt bra so much that they're willing to let you try this bra for free for 30 days. Go to thirdlove.com slash sex lives. All you have to do is pay for shipping. You can take the tags off. You can wear it. You can wash it, boob sweat it, whatever you want. If you like it, you keep it and they'll charge you. And if you don't, you send it back. And if you don't know your size, a friendly online fit specialist will help you find your perfect fit. Go to thirdlove.com slash sexlives to get started. (laughs) 
So speaking of alternatives to our mainstream cultural expectations for relationships, Mona, you said something the last time you were here that I've wanted to have you back to talk about ever since, which is that you believe in the value of arranged marriage. Do you want to make your like PowerPoint pitch? Yeah. I would love for you to make okay. your PowerPoint pitch. So I think um, already you're going to maybe not be so surprised when I lay out kind of my definition of arranged marriage, which is not forced in any way at all. Like these are marriages where your parents introduce you to someone who you think is a good match and you can say no as many times as you like. Obviously, I think forced marriages are completely wrong. But they're, it's basically like a really old, old, old form of like good okay cupid algorithms right it's just like your parents knowing or not even necessarily your parents someone who knows you well setting you up and okay it's different because the goal is marriage as opposed to like just a date um but i don't know i i just think it works based on every single person in my family who has ever been married ever the hundreds of them except for me and my sister we're the only ones who haven't done it that way well are you going to um, I would consider it. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, I don't know. I'm still thinking through whether or not I believe in marriage and I'm very much on the fence of that. So that affects whether or not I would ever do it. But if I did decide. This is such I, a weird Venn diagram overlap. You're like, maybe don't believe in marriage, but do believe in arranged marriage. <laughs> because because it's like all about like for me personally, like yeah. for me personally, I don't eat meat, right? I'm a vegetarian, but I'm not like one of these vegetarians that like if I saw you eating a steak, I just want to like say something to yeah. you about it, you know, like completely, completely your decision. And I just think that people's views on arranged marriage are actually pretty fucking backward because people assume that those people are like misguided or naive or whatever. But actually, it's like a really, really sound. It's like the most rational way of going about a relationship. So to give you an example that is like obviously particularly close to me, it's like my mum got to 35, 36 and was just like, oh, I've I focused on my career for way too long. I like absolutely need to have babies. And just asked around all of her friends, like, does anyone know anyone? Went out to dinner with my dad and, like, their mutual friend and was just, like, they just laid all of their stuff down with no, like, when you're doing it that early on in a relationship, there is no incentive is to meeting. lie. First meeting. There is no incentive to lie. Ha- like, how many kids do you want? Where do you want to live? Like, th- you, you set out what your red lines are and you don't compromise on stuff that you shouldn't compromise on. Like, honestly, I don't want to compromise on, like... I don't want to live somewhere rural. That is like my idea of fucking hell. (laughs) And I don't want to fall in love with someone and then end up doing something that I don't want to do out of love. Like, it's much better to, like, just meet someone where, like, you actually just match up right from the start. Well, I think a lot of people do date this way, though. I mean, I think that the way you're – the reason when people are so sort of against the idea – or arranged marriage freaks people out is I think if they heard the way you describe it – They'd yeah. be like, oh, well, that's just like a good friend setting you up. But it, the, I, I have to say And that dating with still... an agenda, which some people just do on their own. I've definitely met people that like lay it all out on a first date. Absolutely. But they they met one more time after that and they were married. Ah. And it was like weeks later. So it's it still weeks. like uh, – I think I think at most it was two months. It was like wow. – yeah. yeah and, like, and so is – but is this the typical definition of arranged marriage? Like, Because when I think of arranged marriage, I think of forced marriage. But maybe I just have that all wrong. Yeah, I think it might just be a cultural thing, though. Yeah. Like, the, mm-hmm. the part of the world that my parents are from, like, that's how marriages That's what go a, down. arranged yeah, marriage Yeah, is. that's what it means. Well, I'm all about cutting the bullshit, though. So that I think is that, cutting yeah, out yeah, exactly. every single it, last trace of bullshit. And I guess if you come to the table saying, okay, we both want to be married, and not letting that linger as, like, a possibility or blah, 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 then you get to cut the bullshit. Mm. And it makes sense. Does it count as an arranged marriage is just like your friends yeah, yeah. well she way? she yeah. refers to it as an arranged marriage uh-huh. and to her that's like yeah 
But that could, you could also just like a no bullshit blind date is kind of what you're talking no, about. No, but it's the marriage element. It's like right. a no bullshit blind date. Come on, the risks are still pretty low. It's like, you know, they actually like went in on this. Yeah. Well, right. a no bullshit blind date where you, okay, yeah. But you know what's funny is that the way you describe that sounds like actually these like sort of whatever worldviews coming towards one another, actually like all points meet at the moment when somebody is like, fuck, I just need no bullshit and I need to get this done. Yeah. Which like, Honestly, even like kind of uh, like when I imagine the way plenty of like wilder people come into like marriages when they decide they want to have them. Like it often is like that. Like the girl who has her <laughs> freaky marriage. I can't wait to tell her that I had an entire podcast episode about her. But um, <laughs> like is that she just reached this moment when something clicked and she's like, I want to be married right now. And just like every guy was just like, is this going to be the marriage? Is this going to be the marriage? Here's exactly what I want, you know, mm-hmm. or here's what I know I want out of life. Here's like the fill in the blank parts. How are you going to fill in those blanks? Well, and also dating in a sort of more traditional way in that mindset seems pretty awful. Like you're going into every date. And yeah. You're like, you're, That's not you're, healthy. You're yeah. like performing like you're casual, but in your mind, you're like really being rigorous about mm-hmm. testing this person for like permanent. Partnership. I guess the idealist in me feels like, you know, you should come into marriage when you're ready to with that person, you know, Uh, and not let sort of the outside influences, Mm -hmm. uh, the societal expectations Mm -hmm. direct you there to a person who's also being directed there. But but for me though, marriage isn't about that relationship. Marriage is I like I don't want I don't want all of my choices to be. And maybe this is really, really unhealthy. It's like, I don't want to be with someone and think, I want to have a child with you. I want to be like, am I going to really give up all of this shit in my life? Am I going to be like 50% poorer for the... I want to make that decision like outside of the relationship. Do you know what I mean? And it means that even if I do change my mind... I'm very clear about the fact that, like, this was a compromise as opposed to me deluding myself that this was... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know I've said do you know what I mean just, about 50 times. <laughs> but I just really want to make that decision. It's just in extremely a pragmatic. Like, yeah. Extremely. You just want, yeah. Have, yeah. You want the most off the rational, like, marriage, rational everything. You're the most rational human. Does that mean that you don't even... Like, if, you, if you're in a relationship that you don't really think of the relationship as being, like, the center of your life, but only one of many, many things going on in your life? You think of your relationship as being the center of your totally. life? Wow. No, I don't. I mean, I go – yeah, I go to sleep every night with the same person. I wake up every morning with her. Right. Like there's yeah. kind of no way to think of it. I mean, I guess you could say my work takes up hour – like waking hour-wise as much of my time as my wife. But anything else is like totally trivial by comparison. I guess I guess also love is irrational, you know, I mean by, by its nature. But that's, – That's not good. No, but that's what we value in society is like this is why people get into like really bad relationships because they're just like yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's like no. Like yeah. you know you can be rational – like you're rational in the p- pursuit of like your career because you know that's how you get satisfaction. Why not like – why is love irrational? Why no, is love why should why emotions, like be – I don't think my job isn't rational either. I mean I, like I feel like there's nothing in my life that I conduct rationally. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like the like handful of times in my life when I was like, I want a baby. It's just because I was like dating somebody that I was so incredibly like swept up with that I was like, oh my God, I can envision a baby all of a sudden in a way that I never ever would have thought of. And then like when that person was gone, I ceased to imagine babies. And aren't you happy that you didn't act on that irrational? No, because I think if I had, I mean, I well, okay, now I am because they're like gone. But if that person had stayed in front of me and I was like in that love haze forever, I'm sure I would have just stayed in it. But but that is to say, Mona, that when you do find somebody who feels the same way for you, the way as you, who has this worldview, it will be such a good match for you. So, like, there, I mean, like, there is a method to the 
complete lack of madness that yeah. you have. <laughs> Do you think I'm really heartless? I'm so not heartless. Oh, not no, at all. Like, no, okay. no, no, I think you okay. are who you are. Yeah. Oh, I, that doesn't really... No, no, no. I don't think that you're heartless. I, I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. Yeah. I just think that like that level of pragmatism will be evident in the next in, in the person that you find to spend your life with, and then you'll know that, and it'll be that much easier for you. Isn't Do that you, kind of romantic too, though? Yes. Like, is, there, is there any totally. romance to the way you think about these things, Mona? She's like, no. Because like, I think of it, and then I'm I, like, it's going to be so romantic when Mona meets her soulmate, another like cold-hearted rationalist. <laughs> and in my like completely irrational mind, I'm already like, oh, they're going to be soulmates. It's going to be so amazing. And you're sitting here being like, you disgust me. No, I don't think you, I don't think you disgust me. I don't know what romance is, though. Like I'm, yeah. I don't. I honestly, I'm not trying to be like really, really like. What is love? What is? But I honestly, romance is not something I've ever aspired towards. Like I've never thought, oh, I really want to be in something that's romantic because just romance isn't a good thing to me. Romance is like bad films and someone getting me flowers that are going to die in a vase. Well, I just don't, right. It's, 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 extra, it's empty gestures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, yeah. I, I don't know. I, so I don't know what romance is other than that. Like, tell me, tell me something that's romantic that's not cheesy. You were so romantic when you were here last time because you said the first time someone says I love you, I want him to say it at the most banal well, because, moment but, possible. Is that romantic? But you also I said that so, you had you never said, said I love you to anybody? No, I said, I, said, I, said that I'd, I said that I'd said it before and regretted it. And I hoped he was listening so he would know I didn't actually mean it in retrospect. Are you this cold with, like, friends? Like, no, do you, not at all. No, no, no. So you're deeply loyal and, like, irrational Gushing. with your friendships. Gushing, yeah. So what is it about? Oh, God, this is like therapy. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? What, what's different? Yeah, I mean, if you can be like, if you can be irrational in your relationships and your social relationships, why couldn't you be irrational in your like love relationships? But am I irrational in my friendships? What's you, oh, irrational? You, you I just, just love said them. I love them like, I love them. Mm, are they irrational? Well, like, do you say, like, uh, the way that you talked about a possible future, like, mate or whatever mm-hmm. um, you were like there are gonna all, there, there would have to be all these criteria that were fulfilled do you do that with your friends like it couldn't be like a rule no, no 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 like I'm open to friendship with anyone I'm not open to a relationship with anyone Is that just isn't be- that just everyone yeah. though everyone's yeah, like yeah, that yeah that makes sense I suppose because there's like more like gradations of I mean I am someone who believes to say like your relationship can be like in any level of gradations as well like your romantic relationship but it sounds like it's that you're seeing the romantic relationship as like something super duper central and thus that thing needs to follow rational rules whereas like a friend can be like a little bit of a friend like a friend you see once a year my fr- my friends are much more important to me than my romantic relationships oh I think that's because I went to like an all girls school you look so confused right now oh You're no no, like, no I'm just I'm just thinking okay. like you what you may meet a person that just knocks you on your ass though yeah, maybe. Yeah, you have. Uh, it, it, hasn't, like it hasn't happened. Yet. Yeah, but yeah. you're young. Mm-hmm. If it ever happens, give us a call. We're going to need to know. Yeah, Do, I don't think I would though, because I like. Well, how does someone knock you on your ass? I mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I've had that like drug feeling, you know, that that euphoria that comes with like m- intermingling with this new soul that you fit with so well. You know, it, it everything becomes irrational. You put everything aside to to keep going with this feeling. You know, I don't know. <laughs> You've never. Oh my god! You, you, I mean, you may know, but maybe that's just not you know the way that you work. Maybe that's just not how what your system is. It would made be up so of. intimidating to be like trying to date you. 
I really hope the guy I'm dating is not listening to this because it sounds really awful. I don't think so. I think this may be the perfect way to find a mate. Yeah. You know, find somebody who exactly. No, but I'm dating is... someone right now. Oh, and if he's that guy. To this, yeah. Well, if he's yeah. the guy for you, then he needs You'll to be yeah. exactly like this. I mean, that might also just come from knowing what you want in general. Yeah. Like, I think I don't know what I want, and thus I'm like, could I want a baby? Hmm, you seem like a, oh, oh, maybe my life will be like that. Like, what are you, person? Um, it's like some approach to, I wonder if this is less now about an approach to relationships as just like an approach to life right. in general. I'm like, God, what would it be like to like know exactly what I wanted and then like systematically go through the options until I had it? I can't I just, fathom that. I mean, this may sound weird to someone who's like been in a relationship for a really long time, but I just feel like, like there, there's just so, I've, I'm like totally with Rich. Like, there's just some shit you can't plan. Like a lot of things yeah. you can't really like. I don't think you can successfully imagine what your life is going should be like. Exactly, down the road. like circumstantially, which yeah. is why my mum and dad's thing was like. Like, let's get the basics down so when all the shit hits us, we've got those basics down. Which is why, like, on a first date, if a guy... Let me think of, like, something... For example, I had a guy who, when I was talking... And I know I do talk quite a lot. Held his hand in front of my face (laughs) and was like, I'm talking now. And I was just like, you need to die. You literally (laughs) need to die. Who would ever date that man? He was so bad. He was so bad. A person who never speaks a mute He did you a favour. He did you a favour. exactly, exactly. Like, there's no wiggle room around that. Because it means if something bad happens... And I go to say something and he holds his hand in front of my face, you know? Like, there are some Well, and that's places. him being polite, too. That's it yeah. on first meeting, you know? Imagine how much worse it <laughs> oh would get. God. Yeah. So that this close to my face. And he also told me that I couldn't be British because I wasn't white. And I was like, oh, <laughs> What? Oh, okay, yeah. this is just a monster human. Like, <laughs> right. no one here is supporting marriage to monster humans. <laughs> no, I know. Like, and if that man knocked you on your ass and all that, like, I think somebody would hopefully intervene and right. tell you no. Right. Guys like that or women like that that, like, sort of, like, talk over you, I'm more important, should date extraordinarily shy people who never want to speak ever no but the, I feel only... like what I feel like as a as like a <laughs> possible I feel like from the perspective of setting up what you want to do is like set up people who are going to like Compliment. break each other down oh break each other down yeah. <laughs> like what? I would much rather put like if there were two obnoxious mansplainers I would much rather put them together well first of all just to see what would happen that's like, <laughs> yeah. but also like because it's like it's good for people to like not be so Awfully themselves. I just feel like they like you want them to like. But isn't that because you you imagine them uh, holding up a mirror to themselves? They'd be like, "Oh, you're a prick, and I'm just like you." But people on that self-reflective, like the mansplainers, would never realize that guy's like me. He'd just be like, "That guy's a dick." Maybe. I don't know. That's also such optimism about like people being able to improve and change themselves. Because I think my other thought is, I'm like, well, this person is going to be a horrible mansplainer for the rest of life. So who could put up with that? Who would not mind that? Exactly. Which is why arranged marriage is so great because you don't factor in change. You're just like, this is the package. I don't know. I mean, I'm like a weird case because I started out so young with Risa. So I naturally have like a lot of development that probably had nothing to do with her. But I've definitely changed a lot. Since and I you're also her. the but most you, unchanging man I know, and you have changed a lot too. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean that as an. In, I didn't feel <laughs> no, like you're the man who like eats raisin bran every day. You yeah. know, you've talked about this that you. Yeah. You're a very stable person. In what ways have you changed? Well, um, I've gotten like way less pretentious. Like, it's, I would say, like the main. That's thing an that's aging happened. thing, I think. Right? I think it's that's part of it. I I don't know. Like I I um. I like I don't think I would ever have taken the job that I have now if it weren't for Risa. Like I think that like she was much more um I know there are a lot like I was much more into being a writer. She was much like thought it would be much healthier for me to be an editor. Um 
my like my perspective of my parents is totally different because of like because of her um yeah, I mean, there are just, like, many, many things. Like, No, you know what, though? I think there's wisdom in that, David, because the other thing is that, say, if you were, I were to sit down and lay it all out, like, in a arranged marriage situation, like, are the things that I'm stating about myself actually accurate? Well, that's the whole point of th- those other those other individuals, like, the parents ah. or, like, the friends, because they're like, this is this is who she is. This, this might be who she thinks she is, but she's actually this other person. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you think that they're less deluded about you than you yeah, are about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my friends know me so well. Self-awareness is a rare commodity. Yeah. True. And that's it for Sex Lives. Thanks so much to Mona Chalabi and Rich Joswiak. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Reminder that you can always reach us at 646-494-3590. This week, tell us about um, your experiences with sex and long-term relationships and whether you are more deluded about your sex life than your parents are. Um, sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you guys next week, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.